And the basis of this series is this, is that the life we live now is going to have huge, gigantic effects for eternal life for us in heaven. It is ignorant for us to think that we can just live however we want to and we're going to have treasures stored up for eternity in heaven. It's ignorant for us to think that everyone in this room is going to be at the same level in heaven. There are different levels. There are different areas to serve in. I'm writing a book on heaven. We've talked about all this for the past several weeks. Uh, There's a scripture in Matthew um, 16, 27 that says, I'm coming soon. Jesus said, I'm going to bring my rewards with me to give each one according to what he has done. Now, uh, before we get into part four, I want to give you a little analogy to help you out with what we're talking about. How many of you in the past few weeks or at some point in your life, you have had the thought, I don't give a hoot about rewards, I don't care about no crowns, just get me to heaven. If I can just get to heaven, I'll be happy, forget everything else, just get me there. How many of you have ever had that thought in the past few weeks? Can be Okay, how many of you are liars? Raise your hand. Can we be honest? Am I the only one that has ever had that thought, just get me to heaven, I don't give a crud about the rewards? Man, only four of y'all, y'all should be wearing these, this collar, not me. I can't believe y'all. Well, I've had that thought. I've had the thought before, I don't care about rewards, I just get me to heaven. If, I'm just, if I just get there, I'm happy, I'm blessed, and we're done. I want to give you an analogy how that is not very um, logical thinking, okay? Do you know that there are people in Africa, there's tribes in Africa, where... Uh, There's no running water, where there's no electricity, there's disease, there's there's poverty, there's like flies flying around, there's there's children that are born with major handicaps due to the illnesses and going on there, and they have to just they literally have to find their food and find a way to survive and and there's no medical help. How many of you know there's still tribes like that in Africa? And if you went to one of those tribes and you showed them a 30-minute to an hour television premiere of America. And you said, hey, I'm going to get you a one-way ticket to America. But here's the catch. You're going to have to work eight hours a day digging trenches. And you have to live in a one-bedroom apartment forever, for the rest of your life in America. And you can't drive anywhere. You have to take a bicycle everywhere you go. But wouldn't you like to go? And they would say, I don't care. Just get me to America. I don't care. As long as, will I have electricity? Yeah. Will you have running water? Yes. Will there be TV? Yes. Cable in your one-bedroom apartment. You're going to be riding a bicycle the rest of your life and digging trenches. It's like, I'll dig trenches. I'll dig for nine hours a day. Ten hours, just get me to America. Okay, they would have that thought. But then once they get to America and they're here for a few years, they look at everybody else. And they're driving cars. Some of the cars have air conditioning in them. They got jobs where they're not digging trenches, but they're sitting behind a desk. And they're, they're living in homes that have three bedrooms in it. This is amazing. And they're going to say, man, why didn't you tell me when I was in that African tribe that there was a chance that I could have had all this? I wouldn't have agreed to just getting there. I would have done more on my own to get. How many? So here's the thing. You can't imagine what it's going to feel like whenever you get to heaven and your spouse is living in a mansion because they spent their life serving God, storing up treasures in heaven, forgiving quickly, apologizing, getting rid of pride in their life, whatever God was speaking to them about. And here you are, just as happy as can be, but you're in that one-bedroom apartment. Nothing wrong with the one-bedroom apartment at all, but knowing you could have had more. And then your, your best friend, he or she is serving. Remember the Bible says if you're faithful and excellent with little, you could be governor over 10 cities. Your friend is serving over three different planets in another solar system. 
And here you are, you're cleaning the, the rooms in the school they have over here, because there is going to be schools in heaven. I have proof of that all through the Bible. There's still going to be teaching going on in heaven. And you say, I'm okay cleaning, I'm okay being the janitor, but man, if you had just told me back on earth that if I had been more faithful with the way I handled the finances, if I'd been more faithful with the talent and the, the gifts that God gives me, I could have been ruler or servant over ten cities in heaven. You see the difference? You see the comparison? Um, whenever I was a teenager, um, I excelled at soccer. Man, soccer was my game. I loved soccer. I could immediately get out in the field and just know exactly what to do. I could think very quickly. I was fast. Uh, middle school, I, I, I conquered the soccer field. And I went to a soccer camp one week called the Ralph Lundy Soccer Camp in Charleston when I was a kid. And the first day I got there, I immediately got in the field and realized I'm better than everybody here my age. I should be in the, the high school section. I mean, I was just scoring goals and playing around people and, you know, just, just dominating the field. And then after that first day, I thought, you know what? This ain't that big of a deal. It's too easy. So for the next three or four days, I goofed around. And I made fun of kids that weren't as good as me. And I didn't assist anybody in goals. I just scored every time I had the ball. And I talked trash out in the field. And I played pranks on people, even some of the camp counselors. I played pranks on them and got all the laughs I could get. And then the last day, they bring us into this auditorium, and the parents are there to pick up the kids. And I thought that this was the final goodbye. We're going to get our bags and go. And we walk in the auditorium, and all the kids are there, and all the parents are there. And I look up at the front, and there's a table with trophies on it. And they start to call out the names of other kids. They called out one kid's name and they gave him a trophy for scoring the most points. They gave us another kid a trophy for being the fastest whenever they timed our sprints. They gave another kid a trophy for having the best attitude. They gave another kid a trophy for having the most assists. Another kid got a trophy for being able to play all the different positions so well. All these trophies, and I thought if somebody had just told me there was going to be rewards... If somebody told me that they were going to be able to call out my name in front of everybody and give me a trophy, how I would not have wasted my time at camp. How I would have encouraged other kids more. How I would have helped them develop their gift. How I would have been more faithful. How I would have had a better attitude. How I would have been more excellent with my service if I would only known there were going to be awards. And one day when we're all in heaven... We're going to be standing there, and the Bible says that he is going to reward us openly in front of everybody in heaven. He's going to call your name and bring you to the front, and hopefully you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with little, I'm going to trust you with much up here. Hopefully you'll have a crown put on your head. Hopefully you'll have eternal rewards saved up. And when you get a reward in heaven, it's not like if somebody gives you $100 on earth and you spend it and it's all done God's rewards, uh, rewards are eternal. They last for infinity. If someone had just told me there was going to be the chance for that, well, guess what? I'm telling you today, and you're going to have zero excuse when you face Jesus up in heaven. You can't say, man, I didn't know, but I was busy with work. I had problems in my relationships. God's going to say, listen, did you do what I was calling you to do? Did you fulfill your purpose? Did you honor me with your life? Did you listen to the word that was taught? Did you take note in your mind and your heart? Did you change when I spoke to you about changing? Did you repent when I spoke to you about repenting? Did you do what I asked you to do? And here's a reward after reward after reward after reward. Today in part four, I want to talk to you. First, first part one was uh, be um, productive. Part two was be real. Part three was be purposeful. Part four is this, be obedient. 
I know it kind of sounds like a little hokey Christian sermon, be obedient, be obedient, but listen, how many of us in this room know exactly what it is God's asking us to do? How many of us in here know exactly to the T, God doesn't need to throw a billboard in your face, you know it. He's been speaking to you about this one thing over and over and over again. Here's what we do, we hear it, and we say, God, one day I'm going to get around to it. We try to justify procrastinating by saying, God, I'm going to be obedient, just not today. One day I'm going to get real serious about my relationship with Jesus, but first let me go one week without giving in to that addiction, and then I'll get serious that next Sunday morning. One day I'm going to come up higher in the area of pride, or one day I'm going to forgive that person that did me wrong, but let me wait until the pastor preaches on it, because then I'll know it's you, God. One day I'm going to get my finances in order. One day I'm going to obey you in that area. But first let me go to the mall just three more times and then I'll cut up those credit cards. One day. Here's the thing about one day. One day may never come for you. How awful would it be to face Jesus tonight face to face knowing he's been speaking to you about something year after year after year after year. And you've been putting it off, putting it off. And he's going to say, I was trying to set you up for some eternal rewards. I was trying to set you up for some blessings like you had no idea. Why didn't you obey? You say, well, God, I did this, 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 this. Whoa, 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 I wasn't talking to you about all that. That's great. But I was speaking to you about this one thing here today. Do you know there's a thousand things God could talk to each one of us about? I mean, 10,000 things for me. He could say, do that. But he's not like that. He's speaking about one thing. Psalms 145, 19 says, God will fulfill the desires of those who obey him. If you are here today and you are unfulfilled in the area of your life, could it be that there's something God's been speaking to you about that you've been making excuses for. God's been talking to you about maybe joining church or fulfilling an area of your destiny or calling an old friend up and you put it off and put it off and you put it off. Listen to this. Good intentions do not get rewarded. There are no rewards in heaven for having good intentions. There are no rewards in heaven for planning to obey God and hoping one day you're going to step into that role. In the Old Testament, in the book of Haggai, God told the people to rebuild the temple. He did this because in the New Testament, he could dwell in our hearts because Jesus took away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, God couldn't be around sin, so he dwelled in places. So he told them through the leader, Cyrus, rebuild the temple so I can dwell among you. In Haggai 1-2, the people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's temple to be rebuilt. Although Cyrus ordered it done 18 years before I bet you when God first spoke to them and they first started putting it off, I don't think they intended to put it off for 18 years. The first year it wasn't convenient because the kids were out of school and, you know, it's just hard with the different times and mama's working days and dad's working nights. The second year I was part of that sports team and then, you know, football was on every Sunday and I couldn't miss that for that season. Then that third year something came up, the market crashed, I got an accident, bad things happened, and then it went one year to two years to three years, and then 18 years later they're looking back saying we still haven't done what God's asked us to do. And what happens when we procrastinate? It says in five, verse 5 through 6, Haggai showed up and said, Consider your ways. You sow much, but you reap little. Here's what that means. You're doing a bunch of good things, but you don't see the harvest you're supposed to have because you're not doing the main thing God's calling you to do. Yeah, you're going to church. You might be giving a little bit here and there. You're serving every now and then. But there's something specific that God's talking to you about, and it's like you're, you're, putting, you're, you're earning wages and you're putting them in a bag with holes in it, it says. You have food, drink, clothes, but you don't have enough. 
You're doing things, but you're not getting all that God's called you to have in life. Whenever this takes place, we have to feel like, we have to think of that whole Nike slogan and just do it. When God speaks to you, just do it. When he speaks to you about forgiving that old friend, when he speaks to you about stepping into that role, when he speaks to you about, about apologizing to somebody, just do it then and there. Ecclesiastes 11 forces, if you wait till the wind and weather are just right, you'll never plant and therefore you will never harvest. Here's what that's saying. That's saying there's never a perfect time to obey. There's never a perfect. The perfect time to obey is when God speaks to you. And what happens is, the more we put these things off, hoping that one day is going to come, we, 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 we suppress the voice of the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all are thinking, man, I don't hear God like he's talking about. I bet you did when he first told you to do that one thing, and then you suppress it, and you make another excuse, and you put it off another day, and then finally you've become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, if you're here today and you feel like, I just don't know what God's saying to me, and, and you're spending time with God, and you're in the Word, and you just feel like, I don't know what he's trying to tell me to do, here's what I suggest you do. You go back to the last thing God told you to do that you know he told you to do, and you do that. Go back to the very last thing that you know he's telling you to do, and you do that. And I believe then you'll start hearing that voice over and over and once again in your life. Um, a friend of mine, uh, several years ago, um, God put, it, put him on my heart for me to go visit him, talk to him. It was about three or four years after I started pastoring, and this was one of my best friends in high school. I had three best friends, I mean close as anything. And one of them, God just immediately said, John Paul, go visit him, go talk to him. And so I heard that, and I thought, God, I need to pray about it just a few weeks because I know I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I'm going to feel like a hypocrite because we did a lot of bad things in high school, and then I got saved, and now I'm a, a pastor, and I don't know if I can handle the rejection, and I'm not as confident as I should be, and I made excuse after excuse. God said, go visit your friend. And so I was riding down the road one day, and, and all of a sudden, God just screamed at me, visit your friend. And I looked to my right, and there was the business that my friend owned. I thought, that's so unusual. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to go visit him after I go out to eat. And so I continued down my journey. I went out to eat. About an hour and a half later, I come back, and I go inside of his business, and I say, is so-and-so here? And they say, he was here earlier, but he's left, and he'll be here tomorrow night. So I walked out of there. I said, I did it, God. I went in there, and I, I, I tried to visit, but he wasn't there. There's no, what can I do? He wasn't there. I tried my best. I know you're proud of me. And I left there, and God kept screaming at me, and it got quieter and quieter, and I suppressed it more and more. I just wasn't ready. I just didn't know what I was going to say, how it was going to work out. Three months after that, I got a call, and my friend died from a drug overdose. And they asked me to preach his funeral. And so I want you to imagine what it's like to preach the funeral of a person that God spoke to you about visiting. Imagine that. Imagine the, the guilt. Imagine the embarrassment. Do you know, out of the billions of people on planet Earth, God spoke to me. Out of the billions of people on planet Earth, he spoke to me about my friend. How beautiful is that? And I put it off, and I put it off, and then I thought I obeyed. I mean, I went there, and I learned something that day. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still, this means God didn't say, try to talk to him. God said, to do it. I heard about this 
fictitious story, these three demons were all graduating from demon training. And Satan lined them all up in front of all the other minions and principalities of darkness that were there. He said, tell me, demons, what have you learned in demon school? He pointed to the first one. He said, what are you going to do to deceive all the people? That first demon said, I'm going to tell everybody there's no such thing as God. It's all made up. Satan shook his head. He said, you're not going to have much success with that. I give you a C plus. Second demon lined up. Satan said, what are you going to do to deceive all the people? The second demon said, I'm going to tell them there's no such thing as heaven and there's no such thing as hell. Life on earth is all there is. Satan shook his head. He said, you're not going to have much success with that. Everybody knows there's more than just that life on earth. B minus. The third demon comes walking up and Satan was already very disgusted with what he had heard from the other two previous demons. So he asked this one, what are you going to do to deceive all the people? This third demon said, I'm going to tell them there is a God. I'm going to tell them there is a heaven and hell, but there's no hurry. They can wait and make the decision some other time. I don't mind them thinking that God's real. I don't mind them thinking that they have a chance to go to heaven, but I'm going to let them know they don't have to obey today. They can put it off to a more convenient time. Satan smiled and said, you, my friend, will deceive millions. James 1.25 says, God will bless you in everything that you do if you listen and obey and not just hear and forget. Here's one of the devil's greatest deceptive tricks. He's okay with you hearing from God, but his trick is to get you to put off obeying him to the point that you forget what it was God even asked you to do. I read a poem that says, Procrastination is my weakness. It only brings me sorrow. I know I should give it up. In fact, I will tomorrow. <laughs> I was actually going to preach this sermon a few months ago, but never got around to it. Anyway, so here's what we should do. We can't be the type of person that hears from God, starts something in our life, and then forgets all about it. Some of y'all, you have so many unfinished things in your life. Today will be a great day to finish those things and get them finished, get them done. I mean, you, you, got, you got projects all around your house. You got rooms that are half painted in your home, and they've been half painted for so long that the paint's out of style now. You got to paint the whole thing a new color. Y'all got food in your pantry that expired when George Bush was president. You got mold in your shower, weeds in your flower beds. Your middle name could be procrastination. Ushers locked the doors. Three people have already left. Three more want to leave, but they keep putting it off. <laughs> if some of y'all would simply even clean your car out today, you'd get five more miles to the gallon and clean the car since the day you bought it. And you know who you are because you're going to be the first ones to leave church today hoping that nobody sees how dirty the inside of your car is. Because I know you're a procrastinator. Procrastinators never have fulfilled lives. Uh, out of all the scriptures I could quote right now, I, I think about a saying by that redneck comedian, Larry the Cable Guy, get her done. That's biblical. Let me tell you, when God speaks to you, get her done. When he tells you to call up an old friend, get her done. When he puts an idea, creativity in your heart, get her done. When God tells you to come down to the altar, get her done. When he tells you to worship him freely, get her done. When he tells you to serve, give, join a church, get her done. When he tells you to call up somebody and apologize for something you did 20 years ago, when God puts it on your heart, get her done, get her done, get her done. God's not trying to hurt us. 
He's not trying to cause us pain. He's not trying to take away from us. He's trying to set us up for eternal. Everybody say eternal. Eternal rewards, man. It's not just about this life. Um, Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. There's no rewards for delayed obedience. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is. When God speaks to you, it is about the now. If I can be very transparent with you for a minute. Um, in my, my, my previous marriage, the, the biggest um, procrastinating fallback I had was that for years, God was speaking to me about taking a day off of work. For years. I mean, literally years. I worked seven days a week. I love to work. It's exciting. I enjoy it. God spoke to me about turning my cell phone off about not replying to emails. Just one day a week, just spend it. Just one day a week, spend with the family. Just full day, enjoy my life. Enjoy what God's given me, not work. It got so bad, so bad, I can tell you, that my ex-wife would literally cry, begging me to turn my cell phone off. Literally cry. Say, please, just from five to eight, just three hours, just give it to the family, just three hours a day. And I couldn't do it. I said, no, what if somebody needs me? What if there's an emergency? What if there's an email? What if there's a text? What if something's going on at church? What if somebody passes away? I got to be there. I got to have the phone with me. I I, I can't not work. It got so bad, I went to counselors. They said, what's wrong with you? You got to take a day off. You can't keep doing this. It was so loud of a voice of God that I finally said, okay, I'm going to do it in a year and a half. And I had a schedule all written out. After a year and a half, if I could just work seven days a week for just a year and a half, then after I train certain leaders and the church is built up to a certain degree and have someone that can speak for me if I can't speak on Sunday morning, then I'll start taking a day off. I'll start spending time with the family like I know. I'll I'll even turn my phone off. I just need a year and a half. The problem with delayed obedience is it's still disobedience. And again, God's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to bring sorrow into your life. He's trying, no matter what it feels like, no matter how difficult it is, he's trying to get you to a place of blessing and prosperity. Isaiah 119, if you're willing and obedient, the good things of the land will be yours. The good things of the land are supposed to be ours. I had half this scripture down pat. I was willing. I wanted to obey I wanted to do the right thing. It was a big desire in my heart. I really seriously and very, very purely tell you I wanted to take a day off each week. I really did. Just not enough to obey God. Not enough to get her done. In Genesis chapter 19, Sodom was being destroyed and God was trying to get Lot and his family to safety. And in Genesis 19, 15, it says the angels pushed Lot and told him to get going and urged him to hurry. But at first, Lot just stood there, dragging his feet. But the Lord wanted to save him. I'm sure he's thinking, God, why are you pushing us? I mean, this is our home. We've been here all this time. We're comfortable in this place. It's convenient for us. Why are you trying to push? And the angel was saying, Lot, go, go. The Lord's trying to save you. He's trying to save you. Don't you get it? He's not trying to hurt you a lot. Come on, stop dragging your feet. The longer we wait to obey God, 
the more difficult it's going to be in our life. Having five kids, there's always something that's spilled on the carpet, something, and I have carpet cleaner, stain remover all over my house. And there's a suggestion on almost every bottle. And the suggestion is this, for best results, apply as quick as possible for best results. God, I feel like you're telling me I need to start working on breaking this addiction off my life. Let me pray about it for just five or six more weeks and see if that's you. God, I feel like you're telling me to to give more and to find people that are in need and to step into an area of ministry. I just need six or seven months, just, just time at the altar to see if that's really you. God, I feel like you're telling me I need to let go of this bitterness and resentment toward this person, but I think that I just need to talk to them about it first. Then I'll obey. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not turn a deaf ear. There's no perfect time to obey. Today's the day. Last story and we're done. There was a, a famous businessman, an executive. He was 42 years old, and he was being interviewed by Newsweek magazine. This was years ago. He was on the cover. He was described as the whiz kid of Wall Street. This 42-year-old executive was brilliant. I mean, his mind was amazing. He started businesses, corporations. They went all over the world. And this reporter was interviewing him, and before the reporter met him face-to-face, the reporter did some background checks, some work. He went to his hometown, his little small country hometown, interviewed the different people there, the business owners and so forth. And he found out there was a guy that lived in that same hometown who was a bum. He was an alcoholic. He lived in the city park just begging for money. And so he interviewed the, news, the, 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 the executive, and they talked. And then after the interview was over, he said, hey, I found out something about your hometown you might not have known. There was this guy that lived there that was a bum. He was an alcoholic, lived in the city park. He had your exact same name. He's your same age, same race. Can you believe that? What a coincidence that is. The executive looked at the reporter and said, that wasn't a different man. That was me. Man, that reporter's eyes got so big. He looked at this camera guy and said, start rolling, turn it on, turn it on. The executive said, I would spend my nights sleeping under the stars. I would cover up with newspaper just to stay warm. I'd beg for money just so I could get the next drink in me. And he said, as I lay there under the stars each night, I knew deep in my heart that one day I was going to be healthy. I knew that one day I was going to start a business. I knew that one day I was going to be rich and successful. And then he looked at the reporter and he said, and I discovered that instead of waiting until one day, I would start today. And now, here I am. I wonder how many people have the mindset, one day I'm going to get serious with God. One day I'm going to make sure all my kids are in church. One day, I'm going to let go of this guilt and this shame. One day, I'm going to call this old friend up. One day, I know God's called me for greatness. One day, I know he's called me for leadership. One day, I know he's called me to write books. One day, and God's saying, why wait till one day? Why not do it today? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, today is the day of salvation. If there's one thing I don't want any of you to put off, it's making peace 
with Almighty God. That's something I can't let you leave here until you deal with it. I'm sorry, I love you too much. I'll close with this, but y'all know the story of the Israelites that went into the promised land, the, the spies that Moses sent. There were 12 spies, and Joshua and Caleb came back in Numbers 13.30. They said, let us go up, and here's the phrase for you, at once and possess the land. God said, we can do it. He's on our side. He said, all we can do is fight with him. Let's do it at once. The other 10 made excuses. Giants are too big. We're too tired. Don't have enough manpower. There are two types of believers in this world. The kind that possess the land at once and the kind that make excuses to put it off till tomorrow. But only one of those sets of believers gets into their promised land. Amen? If y'all would just bow your heads with me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just ask you a very, very important question. Tomorrow is not the day of salvation. Next Sunday is not the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation.